Hi everybody, it's Steve Weir, Grace Point's Pastor of Arts and Communication, and I'm here to say welcome, or welcome back, to the Grace Point Podcast. At the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast via iTunes or on our YouTube channel. Feel free to check out our website for all the latest information about everything going on here at Grace Point. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step toward becoming a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. We're going to continue in our series uh, in, in Luke. I know uh, most of you are familiar with the idea of a, of a DTR conversation, right? A define the relationship conversation. We're, we're familiar with that in, in the area of, our, of romantic relationships. It's that point when you've been getting to know someone and then you, you come to this point of saying, you know, things are kind of getting serious and so we need to be exclusive now. I want to exclusively get to know you, not playing the field here, just focusing on this, on this one person. And so that's a scary conversation to have because um, it means that you're eliminating other options. There might be a little bit of a fear of missing out on something. But it's a necessary conversation because it's not healthy to develop multiple romantic relationships at the same time, which you've probably noticed if you ever watched The Bachelor or The Bachelorette, which I do not recommend. But if you want to know how not to pursue a relationship, you might tune into an episode of that some, sometime. If you actually think that's a healthy way to go about it, let's schedule a time to, to talk and, and have a pastoral conversation here. Jesus calls us to a DTR, a define the relationship conversation in another pivotal area of our life, and that is our relationship with, with money. Um, Jesus says to us that we will spend our lives serving either God or we will serve money. Um, it's been said that money makes a great servant, but a terrible master. And I know many of us could probably tell a story from our own life or someone you know who serves God, who serves money with their life, and you find that it is, it's, a, it's a bottomless pit. I mean, there is no satisfaction that you can find in that kind of pursuit. So this morning, we're going to see why it is so important to define the relationship with money. And Jesus is going to give us instruction as to how that conversation should go. So if you would take a Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 16. We are continuing our series uh, on the journey with Jesus. And just to remind you of the context, Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem where he's going to be giving his life. And along the way, he's doing a lot of teaching. The last several weeks, we have seen his teaching on lost and found, spiritually lost and being spiritually found. And now he's transitioning to the topic of, of money. In Luke chapter 16, verse 1, he gives the setting for, for this story that he's going to tell. Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. So there, there's a lot packed into this verse. The, the setting for the story is that in Jesus' day, there were very few, very rich people there were very many very poor people. And so here you have a rich landlord 
who has hired a manager to handle his affairs. He's probably an absentee landlord. He probably owns this large farm in Galilee where Jesus is preaching. Jesus knows his audience, so he's talking about something that they can relate to. So here's a a rich landlord hiring a manager. And and this intro highlights the, the difference between ownership and management. Some of you own businesses. And you know what it's like when you own a business and all the responsibilities on your shoulders, and then you hire a manager who doesn't have the same level of responsibility that you do, or the same level of care for that business. And you know what it's like to watch them sometimes mismanage or poorly manage what it is that you own and that you really care about. On, on a really small scale, I experienced this recently when one of my children, who shall go unnamed, borrowed my bike, and they borrowed my bike carrier and put it on the back of my car, and they took it down to the canal, went on a bike ride, came back, and when I went out to my car, I noticed that my bike had not been put away properly. The, the uh, carrier was laying in the grass, and there were scratches on the back of my car. And so I very lovingly and patiently brought this child out and pointed out to them the scratches on the car. Truly, it, it was. I, I really didn't blow up because it's like, it's just a car. But I, you know, I want to keep the car decent. And so it's like, hey, I want you to take care of this as though you were taking care of something that belonged to you. So that's really small scale. Jesus is talking about really major scale, larger scale here. Here is a manager who, he says in verse 1, is wasting the owner's possessions. And so um, what's happening here is this, this manager is wasting something that belongs to someone else. And Jesus makes that very clear as we read on in this text. And, and I want you to just count with me the, the mentions of manage or manager, management, as we read through this. I'd like to engage you in this. Make sure you're staying awake. So we're going to read uh, the first four verses here of chapter 16. I'm going to reread verse 1. Jesus said to his disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And so the owner called the manager and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know, I've decided what to do, so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. How many times? Just count. Six. See, you guys are good. Like, first service got six, too, and I only got five when I counted, but, but you're right. It, it actually is six, so that's good. See, I want to see if you're paying attention. Um, so Jesus is all about making the distinction between ownership and then this person who is managing what belongs to someone else. Another word that we use for that is steward, a stewardship. A steward is a person who manages another person's property or financial affairs. And and the bottom line of what Jesus is getting at here in in this whole story that that he's telling is that money is not a possession, it's a trust. Money is not something we possess, it's not ours, it's something that God entrusts to us to manage. I'm going to give credit to N.T. Wright for that that phrase there that hopefully will stick in your mind. Another way to, to say this is that God owns it all. We've done a class here at Grace Point by that title, that God owns all of it. We don't own what comes into our possession. We are just 
managing it. That's actually true of everything in our life. God owns our time. He owns our talents, and he gives those to us for, to, to use for him. He, he gives us relationships. So, so everything that we think we possess actually belongs to God, and it's just for us to manage. Money is one of the most tangible of those things. And so that's why Jesus talks about it so much. So in this story that he's telling, this manager learns that his responsibility is going to be removed for managing. It's going to be taken away. And so he starts thinking about his future. Let's reread verse 4 and then read on. He says, I, I know, I, I, I've decided what I'm going to do so that when I'm removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. So he, the manager said to him, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. He's cutting it in half. Verse 7, then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, a hundred measures of wheat. And he said to him, take your bill and write 80. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world, this is Jesus commenting now, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, when the unrighteous wealth fails, they may, your friends may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right, we need to clarify several things in this story, because when you first read this, it's like, what is going on here? Let me clarify three, three things for us. The first is, what is the manager doing in reducing these amounts? Like, this, this doesn't seem right. Like, how can you just cut a bill in half? Well, most likely what he is doing is he's cutting off his commission, what he had added on to the amount in the first place that he was going to keep for himself. I don't think the, the manager, the owner, is commending him. Because, see, the, 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 the owner commends him in verse 8. It says the master commended the dishonest manager. So it's not that he's being dishonest again. It's that he was being dishonest originally by mismanaging the funds. Now he's doing something smart by saying, I'm going to cut off my commission and lower the amount that is owed so that these people will like me. So that when I'm cast out here, when I'm thrown out on my ear, they will maybe take me in. Second thing here is what, what is the master doing in commending the, the manager here? J Jesus says that in, in verse 8, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. What Jesus is saying here is that the people of the world know how to handle the wealth of the world better than the sons of light, than, than people who are followers of, of Christ. So we should pay attention to what, the, what worldly people are doing with worldly wealth, which is, in this story, they're, they're looking ahead. They're planning ahead. They're saying, I need to use my worldly money right now to do something that is going to be of a gain in the long run. Jesus says worldly people know how to do that. Now, people who are following Christ need to learn how to do that. Only we need to, we also need to have a view of using our money now for the long-term gain. Only we need to have an even longer-term view 
We need to be looking beyond this life and looking to the, the next life. Because that, that's what he's referring to then in verse 9. He says, I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when the unrighteous wealth fails, the friends may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Who are the friends here? Well, I'll answer that question with a question. Who receives us into eternal dwellings in the next life? God. Jesus are the ones who receive us into eternal dwellings. So Jesus is saying, use your money in this world with a view towards pleasing God and Christ so that they will say, you handled your money well, we're receiving you into eternity. I'll talk more about that in just a second. This, this is the first of three ways that Jesus is defining the relationship that we should have with, with money. And this was out of step in his day. It's still out of step in our day. The first, the first thing that Jesus is telling us here is that we should invest worldly wealth for eternal payoff. So we should use our money in this world. If you're reading uh, English Standard Version, like I am, then verse 9 talks about unrighteous wealth. That, that is translating the word mammon, which actually is better translated. Some of your translations say worldly wealth. That's a better translation because money is not unrighteous in itself. The, the word mammon is just, it's a neutral word. It's about the money of this world, which is not bad in and of itself. It's only unrighteous if we misuse it. And so Jesus is saying, use the money of this world in a way with a view towards eternity. See, worldly people view worldly wealth from a worldly point of view and say, I need to get more of it because it is my source of enjoyment. It's my source of security. It's my source of life. And so they go after it. They say, I need to get more of it. And Jesus says, no, I am your source of life. And so you don't need money for that. When you come to me for life, then it frees you from looking to money for those things. And, and, and that's important because one day God is going to take away our management of the things that he has entrusted into our care which is the scene of this, this story. One day that is going to happen for every single one of us. When our life comes to an end, God will say, you're done with managing what I've entrusted to you. Now, what did you do with it? Now we're going to take, take stock of, of how you did. And so de it depends on how we define our relationship with God over and against money. Are, are, we, are we looking to God as our master are we looking to God as our provider, as the one who owns it all? And if we do, then that frees us to just utilize our money to serve him and to serve his purposes instead of our own. That's how we use our money, not for this life, but for the life to come. Paul talks about this when he wrote to, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them... and." I don't have time to, to talk about the fact that uh, if we could compare our situation, whatever your personal financial situation is right now, if we could compare ourselves to people in the, the rest of the world, we are among the richest in, in the world. 
And so Paul says, for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So Paul and Jesus tell us to set our hopes on God and and to find our life in Christ, not in money. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And so when we find our life in Christ, then we just use our money, we just manage the money that comes to us in a way to to deposit it, actually, in an eternal account. It's possible for us, just like we make deposits in our checking account, and our savings account, hopefully you have a savings account, checking account. In this world, we can make deposits in our eternal account. How do we do that? Let Let me give you three practical ways that that even that Paul is referring to here about storing up treasures for ourselves. The first way is to invest in the gospel. And so uh, one really practical way to do this, I I love this. I have a a friend in the last town we were in, Waynesboro, who would throw Matthew parties. You you may be aware of of Matthew, the disciple, follower of Jesus. The first thing he did when, when Jesus called him to follow him was he threw a party and he invited all the, the people that he knew who didn't yet know Jesus. And his whole purpose in doing that was to introduce them to Jesus. And so my friend Bert, when he would have a Matthew party, he would spend some of his money to, to do this. He would, he would buy some food. He'd buy some, some you know, good beverages. And, uh, and just have a, they would have a good, a, a good time together, a good wholesome time together. But somewhere in the course of that party, he would pause and he would say to his neighbors and his friends, he would say, the reason that I invited you here tonight is because I have a friend that I want you to know. And he would just give a very brief explanation of his faith and say, if you would like to talk about that more, I would love to have coffee with you sometime and talk more about that. So he would throw a Matthew party and use some of his money towards that end. Another thing you can do to invest and make deposits in the future is to invest in the gospel, in the gospel ministry. Invest in the ministry of, of Grace Point because we are sharing the gospel. We're helping people grow in the gospel. We are helping those who are global workers taking the gospel like we heard from this morning. We, we can invest in the gospel. We can invest in Bible translation so that more people around the world can read the Bible in their heart language. That's a way to invest and to store up treasure for the future. A third way, and we'll talk more about this in a couple of weeks, is is by uh, investing in the poor in the world, those who are less advantaged than we are. Um, don't, Don't do it now, but if you read to the end of Luke chapter 16, there's a very clear, gripping story there. of of a poor person, and Jesus is encouraging us to invest in them as a way of laying up treasures for the future. So when we invest in Lebanon, when we invest in the people of Bolivia who are underserved, underprivileged, we are investing um, in eternity. There's a second way, and I'm moving really fast here because we're, we're running a little bit late here this morning, but this is important stuff. The second way that Jesus calls us to define our relationship with money differently from the world around us is that money is of small value 
in God's view. That's what we see as we read on in Luke chapter 16 and verse 10. One who is faithful in, very, in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. So Jesus is referring back to the story where this man, the steward, has been dishonest. And he's saying he was, he was not faithful. He was dishonest with a very little. Talking about worldly money. Verse 11, if then you've not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, there's that word mammon again, worldly wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? So see, God's, Jesus is making a value judgment here. Okay, the worldly wealth is not true riches. God wants to entrust you with true riches, but we have to manage worldly wealth well first. Verse 12, and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? See, God's view of money is that, that, that true riches are worth much, much more than, than worldly riches. Worldly riches are not valuable to God. God knows that money is big to us, but to him it is of, of very little. And that's because he is a God of unlimited resources. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, Psalms tells us. He owns it all. And so we need to define our relationship with money as money is a possession. Money is not a possession. It is a trust. The money that you and I receive is not ours to do with as we please. It's ours to manage for, for God's purposes, to be faithful with. Jesus' final uh, third call to define our relationship with money is that we can't serve both God and money. We have to choose one or the other. Verse 13 says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Money may be little in God's eyes, but he knows that in our eyes, it is far too powerful to, to live in competition with God. And so we have to choose. Just as in a romantic relationship, we have to become exclusively focused on one and, and exclude all the others. Jesus says we have to choose. Are we going to focus on God or are we going to focus on serving Money and, and he uses the language of devotion. He says, and, and love. Either he'll hate the one, love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. He's calling for our exclusive devotion and our exclusive love. Some people never intentionally define their relationship with when it comes to God and money. And Jesus says that God must have first place must have first allegiance intentionally. We must intentionally choose. And when we do that, then we can then just manage the money that he has placed into our care. We manage it in a way with a, with a view towards eternity and in a way that is going to serve his purposes and not ours. Money is not a possession. It's a trust. Close with 
with a little illustration here from Randy Alcorn, if you're familiar with him. He wrote a little book called The Treasure Principle, which I highly recommend on this whole topic. It's, it's really great. He, he says, suppose you have something important you want to get to someone who needs it. You wrap it up and hand it over to the FedEx guy. What would you think if instead of delivering the package, he took it home, opened it, and kept it for himself? You'd say, this guy doesn't get it. The packages don't belong to him. He's just the middleman. His job is to get them from me to the person I want to hand them off to. And he closes with this. Just because God puts his money in our hands doesn't mean he intends it to stay there. Let me just pray for us as we go and just ask the Lord just to to loosen our hands and uh, manage the money that he has placed in them. Father, uh, we thank you for your goodness toward us. We thank you for your provision for us. Um, We thank you that you are the God who uh, created all things and owns all things. And Lord, forgive us for so often adopting the attitude that we see around us in the world where we think that the things that you entrust into our hands really belong to us and are ours to do with as we wish. Lord, please forgive us of that heart attitude. Help us to redefine our relationship with money so that, so that God, you are at the center of our lives, that you are the master of our lives, and the, the possessions, the money that you entrust to us is really just there for us to manage for your purposes and what it is that you want to accomplish and not ours. Help us to take steps forward in that this week, Lord, even as we invest in your kingdom and we invest in in those eternal savings account that you are so gracious to even establish for us. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.